The Outskirts of Faith podcast is brought to you by Monkey Nut Audiobooks. Creating audiobooks, podcasts and voiceovers that keep people listening. The Outskirts of Faith! Hello and welcome to the Outskirts of Faith podcast. My name is Elliot Frisbee and I'm delighted for you to be here. This is the podcast that is literally for everybody. So it's a conversation that's been going on for around 2,000 years, and that conversation stems from the beginning of time. So this one is literally for everybody. Let's see what's going on on today's episode. The thing I constantly have to try and get my head around as a Christian is that God sees you know, something in you that we don't see in ourselves. How do I in my life make a difference to someone else who's in need? God's there at the start, seeing all this, unformed. And this it doesn't mean that this is not part of his plan, or it is part of his plan. We There are so much with God we can't know. So today I'm very excited because I've got a great guy here. He's actually written my favourite Christmas book of all time, literally. His name is Paul Carenza. He is an author, a writer, comedian. And I'm looking at this one here because get this, right? It's a broadcast historian. Paul Carenza, you are very, very welcome. Thank you. Thank you for the, the CV. This is nice. No, this is great. I mean, first of all, Hark, yes. your Christmas book. Good fun. It's brilliant. Would you say that there's been a different reaction to people reading it to you narrating it? Because you narrated it incredibly yeah, well. it was good fun. It was the first audiobook I've narrated, which was lovely. That surprises and me, actually. It was great fun. I I've, I mean, I've loved doing radio and presenting and podcasting and broadcasting, all these things for many years. But there's a certain extra joy, of course, doing it with your, a book you've written and rediscovering, I think, also rediscovering the words you've written, you know, often a year or two before <laughs> and finding new angles on it. And it's like you're reading it as a reader, I think, once again. It's lovely. So what is a broadcast historian? Can you talk us through yes. that? I haven't got a clue. Well, neither have I, really, but I've landed <laughs> myself on it. I'm a bit of a pretender to the throne because about four years ago, four or five years ago, I really, I knew very little about, I knew a little, I had a couple of books on my shelf about the origins of radio, the origins of broadcasting. And basically, there was, I think you may have been aware of a thing, there's a pandemic. Oh, yeah, I heard A bit of a that, lockdown yeah. and all that sort of stuff. And as a stand-up comedian, I lost a lot of my gigs, and I had all of my gigs, really. I went from three gigs a week to three a year, and they wow. were in car parks. Goodness. And, uh, <laughs> and I needed a hobby to keep sane. And so I started reading these books that I had. One of them was by Arthur Burroughs, the very first voice on the BBC, and it was The History of Broadcasting, written in 1924, when the BBC was only two years old. And he mentioned one little fact in there that when the, the first BBC Christmas, which came up in the Hark Christmas That's right, did, yeah. The first BBC Christmas, the BBC had 30,000 listeners and only four employees. And I included that fact in the Christmas history book. And I was dwelling on that going, well, who were those four? And did they get along? And it turns out, no, they didn't. But they all of those people had these ideas of what broadcasting could, should, would be. And I've made it my mission in the last few years to, I've got about 150 books on it all now. Wow. I'm developing it as a podcast, as a novel. I pitched it as a TV drama. I'm just exploring it in all those different areas. Because we don't uh, we don't think of that. We take it for granted, don't we? We take it for granted totally. that these things get made. Yeah. But at the beginning, yeah. so we're like, you know, we've got a million channels. I mean, do you remember when we had like three? Mm, totally, know, yeah. Back in the day. Yeah, yeah that happened. That's how yeah, we're, yeah. we're staring our age. I know. It's, 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 yeah. <laughs> but what would that have looked like? You know, it's really interesting because they're there going, okay, I've got an idea. Yeah, totally. We can give it's, it to lots of people. It's all ideas. And that's the thing. And it's individuals. And this is one of the things that, you know, I freelance for the BBC. I've worked in their local radio and comedy writing and writing for children and, and jokes and things. I'm not a BBC employee. Employee. I don't represent the BBC at all. But I get a bit frustrated when people say, oh, the BBC say this, the BBC do that. There's the BBC bias in the news, whatever. There isn't really a BBC 
opinion or attitude, these individuals who have ideas and we all work to our best and some sway that way and some sway this way and everyone tries to be balanced and fair and all these sorts of things. But going right back to the start, you can really see that when there are only four or then 10 or then 20 employees at the BBC. First few months, you know, it does grow exponentially, but within the first year, there's about 100 employees, you know, so it's a small operation to begin with. And therefore, the influence of all of those people is quite great. One person walks in and goes, do you know what we should do? You know, three weeks into the BBC, they, they or six weeks in, someone walks in and goes, do you know what we should do? Is um, There's an opera down the road. Can we broadcast that? I go, well, no, it has to be in the studio. Well, can we not just lay a cable? We'll call it an outside broadcast. Yeah, let's give it a go. And they do it. And it suddenly launches this thing called Outside Broadcast, wow. which we now take for granted, isn't it? But these are just ideas from people. Well, you know, we both know people in the Beeb, and I'm sure that uh, they would love the opportunity to be heard. <laughs> Absolutely, Because <laughs> you know? yeah. it's, it's a monster now. You know? Well, yeah, and tying it in with this, I'm doing a, a massive thing about the first religious broadcast, and I'm recreating it on stage because it's only in the last year we've rediscovered the tale and the actual words of the first broadcast sermon. And in fact, the BBC records and the history books claim that the first religious broadcast in this country was on the BBC, Christmas Eve 1922. But no, six months earlier, there was one preacher pre-BBC when the BBC was even a, a glint in the eye. Reith had never heard of radio <laughs> at this point. But one lone preacher in Peckham had the, this idea to broadcast a service into his church. And one Sunday, he didn't turn up. He wired up his church, put a clothesline on the roof with a radio aerial and put a box on the altar, probably breaking all these ecclesiastical rules in the process of not having a minister present. And his congregation, who'd never heard of radio, were baffled. It's incredible. Yeah. It reminds me a little bit of what it would have been like when you had silent movies mm. to suddenly you got sound. Yeah. And people, that's a ridiculous idea. It's, absurd, it's not going it? to work. Yeah. Um, you have to excuse my ignorance here. So yes. when did radio first come about? I mean, so he did this idea. Yeah. But how long had that sort of radio been happening? So at this point, so we're in the in the, so the first religious broadcast in this country then, this is July of 1922. And at this point, radio is an experimental thing that a few hundred people listen to. And essentially, after the First World War, you know, 1918, radio's used, it was a one-to-one -one process. A bit like we say, I'm going to radio for help, or mm. radio between the radio hams thing, you know. And so by some 1922-ish, there was this idea of broadcasting, and the word broadcasting was just coming in. It's an agricultural term, to scatter, and it's biblical. The parable of the sower, scattering of seed, casting it broadly. It's a biblical uh. concept, you know, and it's a parable, parabolic concept. Um, if I've, I've, Is the word parabolic to do with parable? I think so. I've made it up. I just want to write notes. And, <laughs> uh, but this idea of spreading, uh, and, and like, like that parable, with broadcasting, you send it out, like this podcast, you send it out there, you have no idea who's going to pick it up. Unlike a phone call or a radio call when it's one-to-one, -one, you know that other person's listening to you. You send it out there and you have no idea exactly how many people will hear it. And so that idea of the first broadcast preacher thinking, I can send this gospel message out there, I have no idea if one person will hear it, if a hundred or a thousand, and also what they will then do with it. Will they pick it up? Like the like the scattering of the seed in the parable yeah, of the yeah. sower. Will that, will that seed grow and then spread more seed or fall on stony ground? And that's the thing with broadcasting still today. You just don't know. You do your best, you put it out there, you hope and you pray for the best. Because you're thinking like, so much has happened in a hundred years. Mm. So what could it look like? You know, yeah. are we going to, are people going to look back at us like dinosaurs one day? Exactly. Yeah. We just don't yeah. know what the future holds Wow. with that. I mean, incredible as well to think the very first, or arguably the first broadcast, really, accidental broadcast, is the Titanic. Is that message they send out there, the Marconi telegraph guy on the Titanic sends a message out for help. 
but you don't know who's going to pick up that message. You know, you send out a cry for help, and of course, one ship then, or two or three ships, come to the rescue. Many others don't pick up the message or don't hear it. You know, arguably, you know, that's what we're, we're all sending out these messages, crying for help. In I this feel world. like I need to change yeah. uh, change this podcast. I feel like I should do a new intro, like, hi, yeah. welcome to Outskirts Faith, a conversation about 2000 years and a history lesson. Well, <laughs> well, we'll rein it back in then, but I will. <laughs> no, I, will, I don't want to. No, but at the same time, it's, it's, it, tying it in then, on the outskirts of faith, yeah, on yeah. the outskirts of all of this stuff, is all of this stuff bubbling away, the harnessing of technology that we've managed to do? And a way of amplifying our messages, our cries for help, our gospel messages, our spreading of news, you know, and the way we can shrink the world, but also conquer things like loneliness. You know, and I mentioned the pandemic earlier. You know, what if that had happened? Well, it did happen, you know, Spanish, uh, the Spanish flu thing of 100 years or so ago. Right. But it's happened at a time when we can communicate, we can do a Zoom call, and we can dial into church, for example, you know, and in a flip side version of that first religious broadcast with a, an absent minister, but a present congregation, it's the opposite. Now you've got a, you know, in our church, the vicar was the only person in church with a camera that he'd set up himself and everyone else is at home watching it on YouTube. And, you know, you think an incredible time in a time where we have to legally be locked down and that actually we can we can use technology to, to reach out and conquer that loneliness, hopefully. Where else do you talk about this? I mean, because people listening to this right now will be similar to me. They'll be like, I want to hear a whole load more. That broadcasting mm-hmm. that, that just sort of fascinated me. I want to look into that more. Do you talk about this like you've got a podcast yeah, as well. Yeah, so I, mean, I, I do a podcast called the British Broadcasting Century with nothing to do with the BBC, but it's about <laughs> them, not not with them. Just um, put that out there. Exactly. <laughs> and so, for example, like the podcast edit episode, and we're telling it very slowly, very granularly sort of levels. So in like, you know, February 1923, the BBC had a battle with the press, for example. And the next thing is the first political debate on broadcast. So, you know, each episode we go through a little moment by moment. And currently I'm doing the history of religious broadcasting. And so those very early years, well, it's interesting, I found like the very early, the earliest church service on the BBC, they took a long time to work out what sort of church service they should broadcast, you know, Anglican, Catholic, Methodist, whatever it should be. And ultimately, they chose, I think quite famously, St. Martin in the Fields, Trafalgar Square, London. And that's partly because it had this reputation from the war. It's a place of welcome and accessibility and openness. So it's familiar to non-Christians as well. They wanted to portray and amplify this version of Christianity, which sort of says that everyone's welcome. St. Martin in the Fields is right there, the heart of London, passes by and tourists in, you know, to this day, you walk in, you find a nice cafe, you can find talks. It feels very open and welcoming. And it sort of says, look, whichever flavour of Christianity you know, or you have a, a fondness for, or you're against even, you're welcome. Our doors are open. Come on in and let's talk. Yeah. I love that. We talked about this a few times on other podcasts that, there is a church for everybody and you know mm. they are different so don't be frightened if you think oh that's not for me that's that's a yeah, yeah. you know it's a bit far out there for me that's a bit yeah. high you know where where's all the people who are just sort of like singing where's yeah. the guitars you know yeah. there there is there is a yeah. church isn't there for totally. everybody so paul we're talking yeah. outskirts of faith i imagine that being a comedian being on the road being a writer submitting things it's up and down and left right mm. and diagonal at times have you ever found yourself, and not necessarily in your work, just in life, have you ever found yourself on the outskirts of faith, maybe questioning, or maybe you started there and got pulled in? And what did that look like? 
Yeah, I mean, it's not. I've gone. I've gone off on one about the history of radio, and not have mentioned the fact I do stand up as well. And and that itself is quite a lonely, isolating sort of job. It's you know, you drive there. I think it was Jack D who said that you know, ninety nine percent of stand up is driving basically, <laughs> and the gig at the end of it is the treat. That's you know, you don't have to pay us for that bit. You have got to pay us to drive across the country to go and do it all. <laughs> And especially the, when you start out as well, and even to this day, if you have a gig that don't go well or don't go brilliantly, it's a long drive home. It's a long and lonely walk off. You know, you have great time mm. uh, manufacturing fun for your audience and you walk off stage and then you're on your own again and you get in the car and you drive three hours home, whatever it might be. So it can be a bit like that. So that can feel on the outskirts of, of I don't know, society, I suppose, as a whole. But also then as a Christian in the world of comedy, certainly also feels a little bit on those on the fringes. So I think I kind of do feel I've I've had a lifetime of always feeling a bit on the edge. I've never felt at the centre of anything, I don't think. Mm. Although the thing I constantly have to try and get my head around as a Christian is that God sees, you know, something in you that we don't see in ourselves. And that the love of that creator, that's what makes, you know, the Christian faith, I think, unique is that you have this idea not just in someone who has created us but has a an ongoing personal relationship with us and that in that sense we are the you know i don't know theologically if i'm quite sound here but we're the center of of his universe we all are you know because he has that love for us but we don't see that in us i certainly don't feel that in myself i felt like an outsider forever in all sorts of you know in, in comedy i feel on the outside of that i'm not at the heart of it in church i've felt on the outside a bit as well certainly people in the arts i think often can feel a bit on the edge of those things the very first book I wrote was called So a Comedian Walks Into a Church. And it was each chapter was me going to different churches around the country on the road as a comedian. You know, you do a Saturday night at a gig in Chester or something, you stay over, you wake up, I just find a church. And I would go to every different type of church I could. So you walk in and it's a Baptist, Methodist, Quaker, Evangelical, Pentecostal, whatever. And as you said earlier, you could walk in a bit like wide eyed going, oh, what? This mm. isn't what I expected, you know. And you sit at the back and you feel a little bit unusual to begin with but at all of them i would say i felt if i committed to it and that if that was on me to commit to that i found a home there and i found in all of them they can feel like family which is a great lovely thing so no matter where you went just by committing a bit of yourself to it and actually giving it a chance you did actually find that there was a welcoming for you and something within that service for example yeah and I'd, i've always been a bit of a glass half full kind of person i think generally you know with with exceptions <laughs> but at all of those churches then, and especially once I, I sort of, I say about two thirds of the churches I mentioned in the book, I had just happened to go to because of life on the road, I wanted to experience different types of church, a bit different from home. I'd say the last third of the book, maybe to finish the book, I was going, right, what have I not done? Quaker, right, let's get over there and let's, you know, so a few of them were with the book in mind, you know, which I think is fair to say. But what was lovely about that is is it really felt like, okay, I maybe I wouldn't normally have gone to this sort of church, but you go along open-minded, ready to experience that sense of community and the presence of God within that. And yeah, I was looking for the positives. In, I'm going, these are, these are different. I'm not going to be looking necessarily for the commonalities, but I'm looking for the positives. I'm looking for, you know, the Pentecostal church where maybe there were a few more arms in the air than I was used to. Mm. And you know, and it was very spirit-led. And, and as, a, as a fusty old Anglican, I was going, oh, I'm not quite sure what this means. But actually, if you open your eyes and your heart to it, you can go, okay, I can see that there are benefits of doing it this way and benefits of it doing it that way. And you can, you know, we're all, there's not a perfect church out there. We are, it's, it's God-blessed, but man-made, and therefore 
you know, it's going to have those different flavours. It's so great that you're on and you've been to so many different churches because there aren't many people I can actually ask this question to. So I talk a lot, as I mentioned already, there are different churches, go and explore mm. them. What's the common ground? So imagine like a spider graph, yeah, mm. and, and on the outside of the spider, at the end of mm. the legs, you've got all these different types of churches that you've been mm. describing. So what are they connected to that's in the middle? Don't, don't just say God. <laughs> don't just say Duh. God. But what is it? you know, that, say, separates them, but also puts them in the same... Well, I mean, it's difficult to say, isn't it? But I think community, I think, is at the heart of, of all of them. And, and if, the, if, if you go to a church and it doesn't feel like there is that sense of community, that's often when there is something, you know, that just feels wrong and amiss. Like, they, mm. they need to be there for each other as well as, you know, love your neighbour as yourself, as well as loving God. You've taken, you said, I can't say God, so I'm not going to say that. Um, but <laughs> you can if you want. I can. But therefore, we are, there, we are there for a primary purpose to worship God. But, you know, as Jesus said, the two important commandments, love God, love your neighbour, basically. And yeah, we go there to worship God. We also go there, I think, to feel that community and to feel knitted together. And that's a great thing. And and the, the way we do it then changes. So, so you go to some churches and they're an hour long. I went to a couple of churches ago, you know, two and a half hours later, you know, you know, I went to, I went to Catholic mass, you know, I'd never been to a Catholic. I made the most, the foolish, the rookie error of going to a Catholic mass as a non-Catholic out of curiosity, which is great. And I encourage people, be curious, try these things. But it was packed on a Friday morning, absolutely packed. The only seat left was in the front row. <laughs> and that's a mistake because everyone else there who's been Catholic all their lives and they know when to stand up, sit down, kneel <laughs> in all the term, you know, the right place in the liturgy. And I was looking around and go, what, what? Oh, um, I just need to know what to do, you know. So if you go, you know, that's why you stand at the back. Look at what everyone else does. Good advice. Good advice. I'm going to, seeing as it's just you and me here, um, I'm going to share a little story with mm. you. So I always, um, I won't go into my full backstory, but I always sort of use the word, you know that, spiritual and spiritual, you know, all those years yeah. back. And I spent uh, a lot of time on the road at certain points in my life. And um, I always knew that I was being pulled towards something. I always knew that. And then one day, I always thought, like I said, I thought I was talking spiritually and I would talk out loud, you know, so mm. to God. But I never used that term, God. Right. And I remember one day I was just driving down the M25 and I was just driving down and I got this feeling, like just this feeling when I was thinking about something, like it was like it was a good idea that I wasn't alone thinking about this. And I actually said, God? Mm. With a question mark at the end. You know, right, okay. Just in case I couldn't act it out very well because I'm not an actor. <laughs> and I got these sensations all over my arms, mm. all over my body. And you know sometimes you get those goosebumps when you, you know, but it was all over my body, so much so that I had to pull over and just sort of dwelling it for a bit. And that, And since that day... I have used the terminology God. I don't, obviously, we can't use the word spiritual stuff, but it leads me to my question to you. You've been to lots of different churches, but spending such a high ratio in your car when you were out yeah. and about doing that, yeah. is the car your church as well? Oh, there's a question. There's a question. I don't think my, I was going to say my car doesn't feel good enough to be a church. <laughs> well. But at the same, maybe there's, there's a whole thing in that, isn't there? You know? There's a joke I sometimes do at gigs about at church events of, um, you know, you, you go, to, I said, oh, I was at a, this old church, very centuries old sort of village of Dibley County, midsummer kind of church recently. And um, I said to the vicar, what a beautiful, creaky, wooden old church you have here. And he said, ah, oh, no, the church isn't the building, it's the people. And I said, yes, that's exactly what I meant. <laughs> creaky, wooden and old. But, um, but that's the thing, you know, the church isn't the building, it's the people. Is it the car? Maybe it is. But no, I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't go so far as to think of it as a, as a, as a mobile church, like a mobile library as such. 
But I do need to... I used to listen a lot more than I have done lately, actually, to, to podcasts which are sermons and things like that. Although one thing I would say, I, I, I did this thing, I suppose when I was on the road a, a little bit more, I'm, I, you know, I've got a family, I'm a bit more grounded and stuck at home now. But Life on the Road as a, as a comedian years ago, and I'd go to a church and you'd hear a speaker and you think, oh, that's a great preacher. Yeah, okay. I'm going to look up podcasts so I can hear more of that because I won't be back at this church again. So I'll listen. And then you get, get you look at the podcasts and you, you'd find that preacher or someone you'd heard at a Christian festival. You go, oh yeah, I'm going to find out more of their, their preachers. And you start to listen to one. You go, that's good. And you listen to another and you go, that's the same. That's the same as that one. And the third and the fourth one. And it's like 60, 70, 80% sometimes the same because they tour around different churches and they've got their their bangers. You know, they're really, they're hard-hitting, great. They know when it's a good talk, a good sermon, a good preach. And there's a whole area in that as well. The fact that all of us, maybe to a degree, we all have one key story we keep coming back to. And I know as comedians as well, they often say once you've seen a comedian's Edinburgh show or their one-off show, you've kind of seen what they're always... They'll always do variations on that. Mm. You know, we don't generally change our tune as much as we maybe would like to think we do, I think. So we've all got... We've we've come from a certain place. We've got certain attitudes. We'll change a few over the years. But generally speaking, we've all got one good... You know, we've got a good story to tell. And it's it's nice to, to hear them. It's interesting what you're saying about hearing the same sort of message from different people. I believe that, you know listening to those podcasts and going to church and hearing different views. It's great because you do hear like different translations. You hear different takes on stuff, which is great. But I think ultimately, if you're listening to this, what I personally feel like I want to say to you is, what does it say to you? Mm. It doesn't necessarily, don't think, what what, what does she think it means? Uh, Mm. uh, Okay, I should do that. And I think that God does speak to us on an individual level Mm. and an inspiring level. Yeah. And I think it's good to get used to the scripture and listen to it and learn from it, but mm. ultimately learn to listen externally yeah. for a message that's coming directly to you. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. And, you know, having talked about this grand variety of churches, the grand variety of speakers and preachers you can hear, I think it is worth expressing that note of caution. That therefore, you will hear, you know, there are conflicting voices out there. You know, we are at times, dare I say, a broken church, you know, which I think is, maybe we often see it as a particularly negative thing, but actually as as a man-made but God-blessed institution, we are all broken as people. We disagree as people. We are not as united. You know, we have our things that we are united in, the love of God. We just then disagree about the fine-tuning sometimes, put it that way. So we have to approach each other with grace, find the common ground where you can, and just be open to others, but also be prepared to test kind of some of those things that people say. And that can be about prayer, you know, praying to God. Is this the message you want me to be taking from this? Is that preacher talking the right stuff? And the Bible as well. And also Christians maybe who are experienced or have, you know, have a have a fairly mature faith or, and other preachers, test one preacher against others as well. Yeah, if you yeah, hear yeah. someone who's particularly kind of out there and go, oh, that's a little extreme. What's what's the mainstream saying exactly? What have people have been saying for the last couple hundred years? What does John Wesley say? You know, he founded Methodism. You know, there's a lot of wisdom in some of those people from the past. You know, and and the the history we're standing on the shoulders of, of giants. You're absolutely right, and I also think that things need to sometimes be broken to to rebuild. Mm. You know, and I think there's yeah. there's a lot in that. Mm. Yeah, I think that's all I've got to say on that. Well, it's but, a good it's a good thought, <clears throat> and I echo that. Okay, so. 
I've asked you to bring a bit of scripture with you. Oh, I did. I ask everybody, and I would like to know what you've chosen. Will you read it to us, please? And tell us why you chose it. I've gone with a classic. Okay. I've gone with, and I'm, it's, if it's not been chosen before, it should have been, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Because it's, but it's my favourite. And, you know, what else can you pick but your favourite? So I've gone, with a, I've gone with a psalm. Okay. It's Psalm 139. It's just the first bit. I'll just do the first bit because it's, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And I just find that, I mean, it's one of the finest things ever to be written. It's poetry. It's beautiful. It's an origin story. It's theology. It's everything is in there as far as I'm so, concerned. So what do you get from that? When, when you read that, how does that... I think there'd be... I tell you, I'm guilty for this as well, Paul, is that mm. sometimes I might read a bit of scripture and I don't feel like I'm reading it mm. how it's meant to be read. Right. So often I listen to audiobooks mm. of the Bible reading. I've really yeah. listening to a brilliant one at the moment, so it's got a full production and everything. Oh, lovely, it's, yes. it's, it's, yeah, it was yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah. But when you read that, why does that yeah. speak to you? It speaks to me for a couple of reasons, I think. And one is, that, as I sort of hinted at earlier, for me, that sense of... Why does the Christian faith maybe have, I think, the right angle on God? Because a lot of different religions will say, oh, God, you know, there is this this being, there's a creator. If you believe that there is a creation, that it didn't just happen, then presumably you believe that it was created, uh, created by someone, something, who we call God. The fact then that it's not just about God putting stars in the sky, making, you know, human life, ex- going big bang, boom, you're off, good luck to you. But it's also knitted me together in my mother's womb. Hand-knitted. We are made at cellular level by God. And I think that care, attention, interest in me, in us, in you, in each other, is incredible. And it's something that, if that's true, then that has to be a game-changer, I think. that In in the way we live our lives and think about the, the world and think about who God is and what God is. And why God is, maybe arguably. I think also, I mean, it's only reading it here and now that I also sort of was, and you know, the next, then I, I praise, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Um, your works are wonderful. So it's praising the wonderful creation of God. But then the next line, your eyes saw my unformed body. See, I've, I, my backstory as well is I had a very unusual start in life in that I, I have no belly button you know, which is I famous, I say it on stage quite a lot, I show it on stage quite a lot and baffle audiences. It's good for sobering up stag dudes, I find it comedy gigs. <laughs> I've got no belly button because when I was born, my parents didn't know at the time, it was a surprise, I had my bladder and bits of my bowel on, on the outside. Okay? okay. So apologies if anyone's listening, having their lunch. But, um, <laughs> and they fixed it, they put it back in again. It's about one in a hundred thousand births, not many. I'm 44 now. I think the oldest person who's got this is about in their 60s or something okay, like that. Okay. So if I was born 100 years ago, they wouldn't be able to fix this. You know, mm. there's not many of us out there. But there are all sorts of medical quirks and things that go, you know, that are, that are wrong at the start and go tricky. But to read that line then, your eyes saw my unformed body. Mm. You know, I dwell on that fact 
that I I was born a bit unusual, and many of us were. We often have, you know, as we're increasingly finding, we have mental health issues, we have physical uh, hidden disabilities and things. Most people, you know, walk down the street and would know that I had this, that I go back to hospital every year for checkups, that I've had all, you know, a couple of hundred operations and things to fix things. But yeah, God's there at the start, seeing all this unformed. And this it doesn't mean that this is not part of his plan, or it is part of his plan. We There are so much with God we can't know. But just to know that he's there at the start, making this into being at, at a cellular level, knitting us like Granny's Knit Shreddies on the advert from um, Shreddies. <laughs> so, <laughs> I wondered how you that, could do that. That trailed off, didn't it? But it's a fine, it's a fine argument. I need to work on the ending, but you get the idea. But that, you know, I just think it's a marvelous thing. Yeah, it's, it's incredible and incredible. Just um, what people can do as well, and. If you uh, are interested in seeing Paul Carenza <laughs> lift up his top, uh, just go along to one of his shows. You've heard uh, it's it here. Audio medium. <laughs> there we go. Uh, thank you for sharing. Okay, we have now come to the time for what, what does, does it mean? mean? I really don't have a clue. So, what does it mean? Really, don't have a clue. So, basically, there are loads of words, terminology that pops up right in Christianity, in conversation. Mm. And they're probably words that we know, some words we don't know, and some words to stop us having conversations or mm. going through a door, you know, because it's a bit of a brick wall. So I've got a word for you today. I think it ties in quite nicely for the fact that you've been to so many different churches. You would have heard lots of different versions of these. So what does it mean, the word him? Him. Him. As opposed to her. A Christian song, a song of worship, a song of praise. It even looks unusual, doesn't it, the word him? The fact yes. that instead of an I, it's got a Y, it's got an N, we don't really say. It's, you know, it's it's unusual, I think it's fair to say. So it's it's a song of worship, a song of praise. But in our, in our church, we um, go to a, a fairly high church, I suppose. We actually moved there about a year ago, moved churches. And it's unusual, you know, because we've got young kids. And often the trend, I guess, is for young kids to feel more settled, maybe, or at home in a, in a sort of in a less high church, you know, in some way there's a bit more freedom and all that sort of thing. Although there's a great deal of freedom, you know, kids can run around at our church and they often do. But actually, we have a good amount of liturgy at our church. We have old-fashioned hymns. We have we we hold a hymn book in our hands. You have a hymn book. We have a proper, not just a hymn, but a hymn book. <laughs> a hymnal, even, maybe. A hymnal. Are they the tiny ones where you have to wear, like, big glasses so you can no, these them. are good size oh, okay. good size that's good yeah these are that's all right good. large print we've got a lot of people with eyes issues <laughs> of different ages so we have that you know and but there are therefore barriers of words within those some of those old hymns you know we we, we sing hymns some of them unfamiliar to me because we've only been there a year or so and some of them going oh i've not ever sung this in 44 years let alone the last 200 years but therefore you find some language we had one at the church last week when it was the word sucker not not as in haha sucker so long sucker <laughs> But S-U-C-C-O-U-R, Succor. S-U-C-C-O-U-R. Okay. Succor, yes. And halfway through the hymn, my wife turned to me and whispered like, what, what does sucker mean? And I was like, I'll, I'll tell you after the hymn, thinking, I should really know what sucker means. I don't know. <laughs> I think it means sort of comfort or something like that, because we are given Do you remember sucker. the line off the top of your head? I don't remember the line. Okay. But okay. it was twice. There was t- t- Sucker was twice. And, and you get, there's another hymn about uh, Our Lady of Perpetual Sucker, I think, in terms of, you know, kind of Catholic theology. Mary, well, they call it, they call it, do you know, theology of Mary is called Mariology, like Mario, in Super Mario. I had no idea. Mariology. So it's not, it's that means the theology of Mary, 
but you look at it, it looks like it's a theology of Mario. Anyway, that's a whole different <laughs> story. So sucker, which essentially then is a sort of a word meaning assistance or support or help, comfort in times of distress and hardship and things like that. But I had to look that up afterwards. But there are those sometimes, yeah, you're right, hurdles, barriers. If some of those words haven't been updated for a couple hundred years and you're singing words of worship and praise, but sometimes you need a, a bit of a thesaurus or a Google Translate. Was that a word? Was it one of these hymns that comes from the Psalms or anything like that? I mean, or is this a word that would have been used in conversation X amount of years ago? And how far back is that? Would you would you be able to guess that? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think the thing is that I mean, I, I've often thought as well. Like this is a hymn from a couple of hundred years ago, and even a hundred years ago, they're still writing hymns like that and, and having that sort of language. I find it fascinating thinking as well. And I'm, this is an odd theory, right? But I just wonder, right? Bear with me on this. Okay. Okay. Jesus, when he's speaking, he speaks in parables, often stories, and he's speaking to an audience who work with their hands. You know, he's a carpenter. His dad's a carpenter. He's got disciples who are fishermen and farm workers are there, you know, presumably people who toil the land and all this sort of stuff. And so you get the parable of the sower. You get talking about being fishers of men. You get the feed of the five thousand with fish, you know, and you know, Sermon on the Mount talking about the speck of sawdust out of your neighbor's eye when you've got a plank in your own eye. Now, this is carpentry terminology. This is mm. wood talking about these things. And up to a couple hundred years ago, most people who were had work probably worked in those similar areas. They worked in the field. They toiled. They did farming work, you know, fishing, that sort of stuff, supplying food. And that's the world we had until a couple hundred years ago. And then industrialization comes along and we all got other work other jobs, you know, like factory work or IT account managers or data analysts or whatever. And those parables suddenly feel a bit more distant. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like 200 years ago, when you read the Gospels or you hear in church people talk about fishes of men, speck in the eye, planks, etc. You go, oh yeah, I was working with a plank the other day. You know what? I said to Dave, you want to get that speck out of <laughs> your eye, mate? I'm using modern terminology. But you know what I mean? The fact that we've not updated the jobs I think it's something that you're leading me onto here, what I want to say, because you're absolutely right. I mean, would the parable be about an Xbox? It could be, yep. The parable of the IT consultant. Yeah, you know, like yeah. the Mariology, you know, the extra character in Mario Kart, you <laughs> yeah. know. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? I was producing at Monkey Audiobooks. I was producing Tom Wright or N.T. Wright, as he's, he's often known, mm. doing his news translation, and I interviewed him. And... We're talking about translations, and he said it's really, really important. He really kind of emphasized that, that there are new translations for every generation. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. He said it's really important. Yeah. Because, get this, I said to him, how do you read the Bible? Mm. And his new translation, actually, I do want to shout about it. It's called uh, The New Testament for Everyone. Right. Yeah, it's it's yes. a very good book. But I said, how do you read the Bible? Mm. And he said, well, you know, every morning I get up and I, I read... Uh, the, the ancient Greek and you know, right, okay, you know Hebrew. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, okay, okay. Like all of us do Like it. we yeah, all do. Yeah, I did that this morning. Yeah. I loved page 34. Yeah. So I said to him, okay, so you're reading this original script. What are we missing? Which I thought was quite a good question, yeah. you know, for me. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was quite a good question. Yeah. And he said a brilliant answer. He said that reading the original text, it's so beautiful. It's so perfectly written it's like an amazing piece of music played with the perfect orchestra mm. he said but with the translations it's the same beautiful piece of music but played exquisitely on a piano 
Okay. And I thought that was excellent. Uh, okay, that's nice. Really yes, excellent. Yes. And it made me actually think that we need to become the instruments, mm. you know. But he did that. Then he was leading on to how it's important that we do use modern terminology, which then led me to think about how we're still very young within the New Testament. Mm. We're so young. I mean, less than 2,000 years. It's not long. No. And we're also hungry, like, the return of Jesus. You know, I'm like, well, what's the rush? Right. We're, we're, we're like infants. <laughs> yes. You know, we're just, let's just learn and, and develop. So terminology, do you feel as a writer, and I'm not just talking about a Bible here, but with you do do wonderful Christian bits and pieces and writing and everything. Do you feel that you're part of that? Well, it's funny, sir. I was, I've got an idea. for It's, it's down the line, yeah. Okay, um, book, book you, heard wise, you heard it here first. <laughs> but um, I'm, I'm writing at the minute this book on uh, the the uh, the early broadcasting story. That would be a couple of books, I think, maybe three. And then I've got some other things wondered about religious broadcasting and the like. But I've got a, one of those big projects, but it's so big, I think I'll get to it in my fifties or sixties one day. <laughs> but I had this. I wanted to do a almost a new version of. I wouldn't quite go as far as calling it a translation of the Bible, but telling the Bible from start to finish but in sort of modern parlance, but almost like it's a bloke in the bub. In the, in the bub? In the bub. In the bub. Which bloke, is what pubs will be called in, in your 60s. The, yeah, by the time I get it done. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, uh, like a bloke in the pub telling you a story, almost like like e ego. Funny, is a thing that you want to know about. I'll tell you this, you know. Those sort of know-it-alls who just sort of blend in and are always there propping up the bar, but just come in here, I'll tell you a story. And almost a day at a time, so probably doing it over the course of a year, breaking the Bible into 365, and I'm not the first to have done that. That's been done a lot. But it breaks it down into those bite-sized chunks. Update it and find the... There are loads, countless stories within that already, which, as I said earlier, you know, parables or uh, metaphorical tales that you can go, okay, I get that. I can, you know, because there are some bits which are tricky to work out what exactly they mean or could mean. But I think maybe with some sort of just making it as as accessible as possible. I'm not saying that is in any way any sort of definitive version. But I think anything that can help us grapple with the Bible, you know, whatever we think of the Bible, it is the best-selling book in the world. You know, Lee, Lee Mack, who I've written with a lot in, in, in TV and sitcom, on Desert Island Discs on Radio 4, you, you're, you're offered... You, know, you can bring a book on Desert Island Discs and they, they say you can have the Bible and Shakespeare as standard. And Lee is not a Christian, as far as I know, but he said, I would definitely take the Bible because he said, I've never read it. And he said, I find it amazing that I've got to my 50 or whatever I am and, and I've never picked up a Bible, never opened it. And if aliens came down tomorrow and said, tell us about the life, the universe and everything, you go, oh, there's a book that, that purports to tell you about this. <laughs> oh, what's in the book? Oh, I've never opened it. He said, isn't mm. that mad that I've just never actually opened it? So I think anything that can help us grapple with some of those stories. And as you say, I think it is, yeah, it's, it is our responsibility, I think, to reinterpret, translate, update, and so on, and just help each other through it a little bit. I think that's a great idea. I feel like I also want to say that it's currently the 27th of January, 2023, when this idea was being spoken about, and that's which means that our idea was birthed way before this date, because it's such an incredible idea. Well, <laughs> no, I'm just copywriting your work for you. It's a shame you. you've put a date on it, because now we can look back, you know, we'll, we'll meet up when we're in our dotage, and we'll go, do you remember? What was the date? Well, I know, I have it on this I'm, podcast. I'm, I'm just trying, I'm trying to have you back. Oh, well, I'll, you know, that's, that's what I'm doing. Ask here. me again 10, 20 years from now if we've done it, you know, but... Uh, we'll so, see. it's a great idea. So, where have you, with everything that's going on in the world, where would you say you've seen God working recently? 
everywhere. You know, God's been busy. You know, he's he's got a few jobs going at the minute, I think. And uh, he's, he's moonlighting. God's moonlighting. He's there. He's you know here and everywhere. And it is. It's been. It's. I think we can all agree. It's been a tough few years, and it will be a tough few years. Mm. Um, but hopefully, you know, in a, in a different way. Because the last few years, everything from pandemic to the war in Ukraine, the global crisis in terms of food, and the knock-on effects of energy price crisis. And you know, that's oh, gloom, 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 gloom. But the whenever you see those little moments of connection with people, you know, in the pandemic, you see people rally round and go, do you know what I'm going to do? Cook meals for people locally or be available for neighbours who need stuff picking up from pharmacies. You know, we got to know our neighbours a whole lot more. We've lived in yeah. the street for 10 years and that's why we moved churches because we realised our neighbours go to the church behind our house. We were driving across town to a different church. Go, well, they all go to this one. This is our community. These are our people. We're here next to these people. And God's working in all of those people. You know, I see people who were doing volunteer jobs, taking people in there and everywhere. I'm not saying we all need to be kind of goody two-shoes about it, but just be open and generous where possible. And I've something I made a conscious decision of a year or two ago now is to generally in life be more generous. Just to, why not? You know, I was getting a bit protective of, I suppose, by my time, my money, my everything, my energy. Whereas actually someone, if someone gets in touch, and I get, I get quite a lot of emails asking can you look over my script or look over this thing or introduce me to that person, whatever it might be. Every couple of days, there's another one. I get back to everyone. I can't help everybody. I get back to everyone explaining that I can't help everybody, introduce you to Miranda or Lee Mack or mm. read your feature film script or whatever. But I will always, rather than just go, no, sorry, goodbye, I'll offer something, you know, a paragraph of for a new writer, a bit of advice or suggestion or encourage, encouragement, I think, particularly. And that's an active decision, I think. Generosity, openness encouragement. And I see that. I see God working out there in communities. When I see those food banks, the warm spaces, people volunteering to give lifts and things and making food for people. And, you know, God bless them. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and he does support what I've said before, where a lot of focus can be on something that's really maybe bad. People would seem as bad, but they're neglecting what's happened on the outskirts of that yeah. and, and the support. It shines a light then on those people who are doing those support. You know, I, I know count various people who've taken vans and lorries over to Ukraine full of bedding, toys, and all these sorts of things. And, you know, the WhatsApp group goes on the school thing, and you want to join me. And I think part of me goes, yeah, I want to go and join you, but I'm not going to for these 12 reasons. And I can't for, you know, I mean, medically it'd be problematic for me and I've got my family, all these sorts of things. But, you know, I see God working in these people, absolutely. And it shines a light on those people. Mm. And and anything that can then make us, you know, we don't have to join in with all those things, but we can be inspired by it, I think, and go, oh, right, how do I in my life make a difference to someone else who's in need? And what can I do tomorrow to be have my eyes open to those people who need, you know, someone falls over, do I go and help? Yeah, go and help, you know, or what else can I do? Someone's dropped a thing, for, you know, pick it up for them. Do you want to, oh, sorry, you've dropped this. Whatever it might be, yeah, tiny yeah. little things, but, you know, a thousand act of, acts of positivity and kindness. I want you to think about the whole generosity thing because that's going to help you with something shortly. Oh, I just want you to remember that, okay. okay? But moving on, it's now time for Splat! The Nat. Yes, it's now time for Splat the Nat. So with so much going on in the world and people carry a lot in their everyday lives, so things that we don't even know about, things mm. they don't talk about, things that they see, things that we hear about. And the whole point of this is that it just often doesn't go away. And you can flap your hand, but it just keeps coming back. You try to push it away, just like a gnat, it keeps coming back. Right. But the whole point is that we can splat that gnat. We can 
hand it up to God. And that doesn't mean he's taken it and it's de- and that's mm. gone away. But what it means is that it's nice knowing that we've got a bit of support there and we can work with that, work with God together, dealing mm. with that, and it will help us with our day. Yeah. So with that in mind, if you could splat any gnat, what would that gnat be? Oh, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's a tricky one. I would because I don't want to sound too negative. I mean, because the, the, the instant, the instant thing that comes into my head, which is, it's a, it's, it's, it's too. I mean, I've sounded like a, I, I like to think I've come across as a nice person. Well, you are a nice half person. An hour. But I mean, the now I really want to just say is when I'm picking up my kids from school, is the parents who park on the on the curb and on the double yellow lines, and you know, I'm walking down the street with my daughter, and a car suddenly crashes onto the pavement. And then the hazards go on and they go off and pick up the kid. I want to splat that now. I want to just go, again, just look out. And it goes back to the openness and just be nice. Look out for people. You know, consider. Be considerate. All that sort of stuff. There are people right now going, yes, Paul. Oh. Yes. I, I mean, it's a, minor, it's a minor. But the thing is, it's a minor thing. But that same thing about, you know, oh, well, this is my territory. This is my turf. I don't care about other people. On a, dial it up and you get those territorial warring nations. I'm not saying that the parents who are parking illegally at the kid's school is the same as, you know, Russian aggression, blah, blah, blah. I'm not saying that. But we have a human nature thing that, you know, we can... I've done things in my past where I've I've had that selfish attitude to things and go, no, I know best, and it's, it's I'm protecting me here, number one. And I think we see it on a lot of these reality shows and things, you know, everything from The Apprentice to... Um, the, I was I was hooked on the traitors. Have you seen the traitors? I haven't. No. Oh, God, I love the traitors. But some of the attitudes on it, you just go, oh no, that's just that's, there's there's the best of of mankind on there, but there's there's also the worst of humanity on there as well. Um, so, but being considerate, openness, outward looking, encouraging, we can't be. I think we. I was thinking about this the, the other day. Selfless is a thing we cannot be because we try, but we'll never be ultimately selfless. But we can be. You get this right. We can't be selfless, but we can be less self. Mm. I don't know what that means, but it sounds good. It sounds really it good. Sounds Have good. you got a t-shirt made for that? I've yet? got a poster. Okay, the date is. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, think less of ourselves and more of others, and that will help us to become selfless as we become less self. I think that's great, and I think it's a good nat to splat okay. because people listening to this, they might just take that on board. Well, I don't know. You know, everyone, everyone's been coming in with different things. Mm. You'll be amazed, like what people are saying. Really? Yeah. yeah well, it's splatted. And Good. I, and with someone with two kids, I'm yep. with you, all right? Just like the selfish parkers. Exactly. Go. I mean, we I've I've actually gone to a car park and there's been two cars rushing oh. for the space. Oh. Rushing for that space. The thing is, and oh, it's, oh, we're going off on one. It's so the passion. It's so <laughs> petty, isn't it? But what I was just I know I'm just analyzing the fact that probably with all of the injustice in the world that I could get and I do get annoyed about and I watch the I watch I, we series link the six o'clock news at night I don't, we're the only people I'm sure who do that we series link it so that my wife and I sit down and watch it because we're busy putting the kids to bed at six and all that but we watch it at eight the six, six o'clock news because it, we don't want to go to bed angry at ten o'clock but we'll watch it at eight the six o'clock news uh, every night hit delete this done and I get angry at the injustice there and selfishness and greed and all of those things that you often see on the news and yet, the thing I'm probably most cross about in any single day is if I let a car through and the driver doesn't give me a nod or a wave. What's that all about? How is yeah. that the thing that really bothers me? Like, come on, I let you through all that way. I've been waiting yeah. for 20 seconds and you didn't even give me a wave or a nod. And it's that's weird, isn't it? Do you know what I do now? So I'm going to get very Christian here, right? Go on. I pray for him. Oh. I said, it's the only way I get through it. I used to get so cross. Yeah. I was driving on the road and then people like, whiz up and... and oh, 
don't start me on mm. big cars, big cars yeah. driving at 40 mm. in the middle of the M25. Yeah. Don't start me off right. on it. Okay. All right. We'll but here. my point is that I was getting so wound up with this stuff. Mm. In the end, the only way I could do it was kind of pray for them and kind of yes. make me feel a bit better. Rebellious prayer. It did. Yeah, there you go. go. Yeah. Okay. So um, okay. getting near the end now. Okay. And we do a little sort of game show. It's just mm. three questions. Okay. All right. Three questions. And I don't necessarily expect you to know these. A lot of people don't. Sometimes they're really easy. Sometimes right. they're not. But the whole point is that we don't all know everything. You don't, if you've got an interest in faith, if you're thinking to yourself, do you know what? I would like to explore a bit further. You don't need to know everything mm. because as you can see, I've got an iPad and I generally <laughs> don't have a clue. Yeah. But there are some things that I do know now yeah. because... Because I've learned from it. Because you've got the answer in front of you. That's how you know it. This is basically a chance to go, that Carenza bloke, he gives all talk. You know, he's waffled away for all of this time. And yet, yeah, he doesn't know anything. You know, but some, some of the questions, you know, about, you know, what did Jesus walk on when he went out to the boat? You know, you'd know okay. that one, you know. Yeah. However, it's something that we could all learn together. And right. then maybe, if Good. you're listening to this, you might be in a conversation one day yeah. and this question might pop up or someone yeah. might go, oh, I wonder if, and you go, well, actually, actually do you know what? Yeah. I know that. Then you've got a conversation and right. I do urge conversations with other Christians. I really do. And people who aren't, of course, as well. So I'll ask you the question. Okay. We've got a little sound bite which will play right. underneath mm -hmm. and then at the end of that sound bite, about six, seven seconds, okay. you can then ask. Thanks. Okay. okay. Ready to set up. Question number one. <laughs> Sorry, but it's, I just I chose these deliberately for you. Oh, thanks. All right, because I thought you'd find them interesting. I don't okay. usually do that. That's good. I like it. I okay, appreciate right, it. Here we go. Is, is six or seven seconds long after Google? Can I? Uh, no, no, you're not. Uh, no okay, Google. Okay. Question number one: yeah. How many verses are there oh. <laughs> in the Bible? Oh, okay. One, two, three, <laughs> four. I need more than six or seven seconds. How many verses in the Bible? I'm going to say two thousand two hundred and sixty. Three. In the whole Bible. Yes. 31,102. <laughs> well, there was a two in there. There was a two in there. Yeah. It's actually split with the Old Testament, 23,000. You may yeah. have been thinking more chapters, but they yes. got Yes. Yeah, that's what it was. I gotcha. I gotcha. <laughs> uh, but the Old is 23,145. And I actually oh. knew the New Testament, 7,957. And the reason why I know this is because at Monkey Nut Audiobooks, mm. we had to. We recorded a Bible, the full Bible, and we had to split it oh. into individual verses as well. Wow. And that was a lot of labelling. I bet. A lot. That's a mega computer right there. Mega. Cool. We did it all by hand. Can yeah. I ask a question on that? Yeah. I read once, and this may be wrong, but you no, may know. Please don't ask me questions. Yeah. <laughs> I read once that the verses, the reason they're broken up into verses, and this may be nonsense, so Go don't on. take this away, was because... The fellow who was writing, translating the Bible was on horseback as he was doing it in a carriage. And whenever the horse went over a little speed bump, he's like, uh, and there's a verse. There's a <laughs> well, am I supposed to be laughing at you? It's not true. I read it. It's true that I read it somewhere. I mean, that can't be how they did every verse. But no, it's not like every time the, the horse trod in a puddle. So, oh, there we go. That's another one. So the person, but, so the person writing, taking all of the, the stories, Yep. And writing the Bible, yep. I don't think he'd be able to write it all on horseback. We well, wouldn't do it all, but I think he start started that. And way. Did he suddenly start like no, doing right. fake fake bumps? Now, and, now, <laughs> did now you have I, someone like poking with a needle? And, and what if the horse does it and it's not the end of a sentence or a comma? Or yeah, if you had a smooth right. horse? Now I say it out loud, I realise it does sound. 
<laughs> terrible and not not true. All right. I hope on. it is true. Okay. Okay. Question number two. Yes. How many languages has the Bible been translated into oh. as of 2022? Okay. One, two, English, Welsh, Aramaic, Klingon. <laughs> 212. Well, I love that you uh, counted by hand. Yes. One of those included Klingon. Yes. It's actually, as of 2022, there are 724. I didn't know there were that languages. many languages. Well, no, that's incredible. But this is where it goes a step mm. further for you. I thought you'd find this interesting. With the New Testament, an additional 1,617. What? Exactly. They must be inventing new languages just to do it. Well, no, this is what came to me because I there were, but I, that's got to be dialects, right? Yeah, okay, yeah. It's got to be. I mean, I don't know how many well, languages there are in the world, but that, have you got your phone with you? Uh, on, do, I have. Do a quick Google. All how right, how many languages a... are there okay. in the world if it's less than 724? Uh, but don't you find that fascinating? That is, isn't it? But also, the, the reach, yeah. you know, how many people... So people listening to this on the outskirts of faith, just that alone shows that it's worth exploring. Yeah. It's in 724 languages. Well, do you know, I, I was thinking... When I came up with 212, I was thinking there's about 200 countries in the world, so about one language per country. But then I was forgetting, like, of course, no, because, you know, you've got in, in the British Isles, you've got Gaelic, Scots Gaelic, Irish Gaelic, Cornish, Welsh. Liverpool. Liverpool, Scouse, yeah, a Cockney, Cockney Rhyme Slang. Cockney oh, there is a Cockney Bible, isn't there? I know there's a Cockney Bible. It's interesting. Um, it? So I'm pretty sure that, um, yeah, there's going to be, you know, that's just in... You know, I, 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 when I was grew up in Cornwall, there's at least eight different languages in my yeah. village alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so uh, we'll find out. Once I get a, a signal, I'll let you know by the end of the, okay, uh, the, end fine. Of the show. No right. problem at all. Okay. okay, question number three. All right, this is where I told okay. you earlier on oh, that yes. it might come in handy. Right, okay, okay right. with you. Okay. Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for... Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to. Yeah, yeah, really, really. That's right. <laughs> a rich man is the first three words. Yeah. A rich man to enter the kingdom, kingdom of, of heaven. heaven. Woo! Hey! One out of three. That's amazing because I was actually going to give you multiple choice. Okay. I was going to give you four for that. And I thought, no, I reckon he's going to get it. And Do you he know did what? It. I was remembering there's a Rowan Atkinson sketch where he does the vicar thing and he says, do not forget, it is easier for a camel to enter the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to, than it is for a rich man to. <laughs> Full stop. <laughs> That's the end of it. <laughs> okay, fair there, enough. There are these uh, things going out on social at the moment of, uh, you know, Mr. Bean singing Hallelujah. Oh, yeah, okay. You know, and they've sort of yeah. popped, that popped him into uh, other wealth famous right. modern songs <laughs> when it comes to Hallelujah it's right, just Mr. Bean singing out uh, 7,100 languages that's just incredible that's in the world there you go just so, incredible well. but it means there's somewhere to go isn't there because there's only uh, a couple of thousand there well do you know what there was an extra bit so I didn't write it down but so we've got 724 languages New Testament an additional 1,617 and I know for a fact mm. That there's at least a couple that I know of mm. since you know okay. I mean, 2023 yeah, yeah. and also segments of the New Testament has also gone on site for an extra 
1000 something as well. Right. So there Segments you are. of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I didn't yeah. write that down. Okay. But, okay. Paul Carenza. Yes. It's such a pleasure talking to you. It's like, been a joy. Yeah, it really has for me. And you've you've uh, given such great content. I wish you the very best of everything. How can people, people will want to know more. How can people find out what you're up to? Well, it's all about the socials. Yeah. It is. Yeah. You know, I've got the website, paulcrenza.com, but really, you know, it's it's I'm on the Twitter and the Facebook. And my podcast is the British Broadcasting Century. That's there whenever people get, you know, in all good podcast shops on the high street. Is that a thing? It's not a thing, is it? <laughs> it can be. Uh, the books are out there. The audiobook of Hark is out there as well, of course. Please and, go and listen uh, to Hark. Do it's go great. Hark. It's, it's great. It's good fun yeah. doing that. And yeah, we just keep on keeping on, don't we, really? Keep on creating stuff and being nice, connecting stuff up and and just retelling old stories in fun, new, encouraging ways. Are you more social on one social than another social? Um, I'm more Twitter than Facebook nowadays. Okay. I found that Twitter, um, I suppose because it's more... Facebook seems to be more, you know, kind of people you know a little bit and that sort of stuff. Whereas Twitter, I find is more, you just chuck stuff out there and see. And you're at? I'm at Paul Carenza. I've also got at BB Century where I would do more of my British broadcasting stuff when I find little nooks and crannies and, and go, oh, this is a nice thing. But at Paul Carenza is where all the main stuff is there. I've got a mailing list as well, um, which I think is if you go to linktree.paulcarenza or whatever it is, that's all there as well. But I'm, you know, by the time this goes out, I'll be on <laughs> Mastodon, MySpace and Friends Reunited once again, I'm sure. You know, it's, Brilliant. it's changing world we're in. Paul, before we close down today, I wonder, would you mind just doing a very short prayer or a long prayer if you want, uh, just to close down the podcast, then I'll join in and then shut it down if that's all right, okay. Certainly, I'm going to do all uh, 72,000 verses of the Bible, <laughs> if that was the right number or not. Loving Father, dear God, we thank you for the gift of, of communication, the mm. fact that we can communicate here together with each other, the fact that these words can get out there thanks to the harnessing of technology that we have, that we can amplify a conversation, we can amplify your message, and we just pray that we would get the right message, the message you want us to send out there to other people. It could be messages of, of hope, of help, and that we can shine a light in the darkness thanks to you because that is ultimately your light, your one true light as creator and sustainer of this universe mm. and of life. We pray that we would just glorify you in whatever we do as we do it from this day on. Amen. Amen. And Father, just be with Paul and his family and all the work that he does and everybody who is on the outskirts of what Paul's doing right now, be with them, put your hand on their shoulder and, and guide them so his work can just multiply and expand and go out, all done in your name, Lord. And Father, I just give thanks that we're able to do this. I give thanks for friendship and for smiles and laughter. And I pray that everybody hearing this can experience joy and laughter, understanding, peace, light and hope and can find themselves taking one step closer to finding you, Lord and the name and the love of Jesus Christ. In Jesus I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Outskirts of Faith podcast. And remember to get us on all our social media, Instagram and all of that, TikTok and all this like that. And just remember, can you just say hashtag oof for me? Hashtag oof. There we go. Hashtag oof, double O-F, Outskirts of Faith. And of course, we've got the website with all the resources where you can go on and you'll find something for you. And if there isn't, let us know. It's really important that you do, but it's for you. It's for everybody. See you next time on the Outskirts of Faith. Take care. You've been listening to the Outskirts of Faith podcast. We would love more people to join our community. So please subscribe, share this podcast and join us on our social media. And of course, you can visit our resource website at outskirtsoffaith.com. 
This podcast was edited by Chris Byland, the YouTube video editing by Adam Moss, music by Matthew Salvage, and hosted by Elliot Frisbee. The outskirts of-